Merry Christmas, everybody. I know some of you are really disappointed because it's not going to be a white Christmas. And if you find yourself there, unless you're here just for visiting family, I want to encourage you, just give it a couple weeks because it's coming. And after it's here for a couple weeks, I know some of you love it, but some of us are like, okay, I need a little bit of a break from this. And that's where I was at last January, early January. A friend of mine called me up and said, hey, I'm going to Florida at the end of the month for a church conference, so I've already got a room. Do you just want to tag along? You can stay in, in my room, and you know we'll just split the cost. It'll be cheap, and I'm like, a trip to Florida. I don't even care what the conference is about. At the end of January, I am on my way, and so we went to Florida, and night one, we got checked into our hotel room, and he jumped into bed, and every night, he would watch The Office on his phone as he would fall asleep. And as he was doing that, nestled in the sheets, I looked to the left of the vanity, and there hanging on the walls a couple feet above my head were two of the longest black hairs I have ever seen in my entire life. And the problem is neither one of us have long black hair, uh, so it wasn't ours. And I don't know how it got up there or how it stuck to the wall, but all I knew was this room was not cleaned as it should have been. And he was, he was almost asleep, and I'm like, hey... I just saw this. He's like, we'll be fine. We'll just, we'll get a new room tomorrow. So I'm now, I've got the flashlight on in my bed that I'm about to sleep in because there is no way I'm going to be comfortable at all that night. And I'm shining the light. I'm peeling back the bed, uh, the bed spread and peeling up the sheets to look for bed bugs. And there were no signs of bed bugs. So I climbed into bed and I just couldn't get comfortable. And so I tossed and I turned for a couple hours, and finally I was exhausted enough to the point I was about to fall asleep. And just as I drifted off to sleep, he started yelling. He started yelling. And I'm like, are you okay, buddy? Are you having a heart attack? And he didn't respond. He was out. And he was having a dream, and he was quite agitated in his dream. And I thought, all right, I'll just wait this out. That's fine. And it stopped after about five minutes. And then he went back to sleep. And then another hour after I was already exhausted, I finally worked my way where I was going to be able to sleep. And I was asleep for 15 minutes, and it started again. And at that point, I realized I'm not going to get any sleep tonight. So first thing in the morning, I let the front desk know, hey, of the situation. They said, sir, we apologize. We are so sorry. We assure you, your room will be thoroughly cleaned. We we are so sorry that this happened to you. I said, thank you. I appreciate it. We went and did what we had to do that day. It was a long day. We came back to the hotel a little bit after 9 o'clock. We get in the room, and what is staring at me on the wall but these two long hairs just still draped on the wall. And I'm like, that's just not going to work for me. And so he's like, are you really going to have them switch us rooms over a couple hairs? And I said, absolutely I am. Yes. Yeah. And so I went down to the front desk and I explained the situation and they apologized profusely and they assigned us new rooms. Well, that whole process took about an hour. And so once we got in the new room, I then had to do a thorough checking because clearly I had lost all faith in the hotel staff at this point. I did my thorough checking, everything was fine, and I'm like, finally, tonight will be all right. And at that point in time, he got an email, and that email was relaying some news that he was distressed about. 
And so I had to be a good friend, and I had to talk him through that process of what the email could mean and everything else. And so we sat and we talked about the email, and after about an hour, he said, I'm just going to need to take a walk to clear my head. And I'm like, are you sure? And he said, yes. And I said, thank God, I can finally get some sleep. And so he left the room, and I was out. It was wonderful. Until 3.17 a.m. Because at 3.17 a.m., I heard the episode of The Office, which either features Ozzy Osbourne or Black Sabbath. I'm not sure which, but I awoke to, I, 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 at a decibel level that should have never occurred unless you were at an Ozzy concert. And I'm like, what are we doing here? And he's like, oh, my bad. And then he turned it off. Well, I couldn't fall back asleep. And then we went and we did what we had to do that day. And then we came back to the hotel that night. And we get back into the hotel, and all of a sudden, he's like, oh, I, I think I'm getting sick. I'm like, excuse me? It's like, I, I think I'm getting sick. I'm like, you mean you have allergies? He's like, oh, I don't, I don't feel so good. I need to go to the bathroom. And that's when I packed up my suitcase and went down to the front desk. And I explained that I needed a room. And I didn't care what it was going to take to get me a room. I needed a room. And they recognized me. They recognized me from the adventures I'd been on so far. And they said, what's going on? And I told them everything. And I said, and now the guy that I'm sharing this room with is sick. And they said, we're so sorry that this is happening to you. We're going to treat you like you're one of our highest level reward members. And I said, tell me more. And they said, all right, we're going to upgrade you to one of the biggest suites that we have in the hotel free of charge. I said, thank you very much. And they did. And I rubbed it in his face and everyone else's face that was with us there because now I went from being crammed in a room with somebody that can't sleep to having three different bed options. I almost set my alarm in the middle of the night just to transfer into a new bed. It was fantastic. I had a full kitchen. I had two bathroom options. This was wonderful. This was wonderful. And as I climbed into bed, I had no trouble falling asleep that night. It was, it was fantastic. Now, it wasn't the nicest suite that they had there. That's called the presidential suite. So I, I don't even know what that is like. But I thought, you know, I could get used to this. I could get used to staying in something like this. It was comfortable. It felt good. It's not that I deserve it. It's not that I earned it. It's just I liked it once they gave it to me. It felt good. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. And, and what this is, it's not a story. It's not a fairy tale. It's the reality that God himself came down in human flesh and indwelled this world. How do you make your arrival to the world you created? How do you, how do you go amongst your life and go about your life living amongst the people that you yourself formed? We're going to see the answer to that today as we look 
at a couple of the accounts of the birth of Jesus. We're going to be jumping back and forth between the Gospel of Luke, which is the third book in the New Testament, and the Gospel of Matthew, which is the first. If you have your phones or your tablets with you, we, we have an incredible resource available to all of us in the App Store. It's called the Bible App. It's totally free, and there are a number of great features within the Bible app, and one we use every week here at Lakeside is called Events. And so if you have the Bible app installed on your phone, you can just open it up and go to Events and then either enable your locations or write in Lakeside, Algoma. You can follow along with us that way. If you don't have it installed on your phone yet, you really should. It's a great resource. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and just a minute. The verses will also be available on the sides, on the screens. If you're joining us via the stream this morning or this this afternoon and evening, thanks so much for watching. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside, and we're glad that you've joined us and spending part of your Christmas with us. Merry Christmas to you. The verses will be available for you on the screen below. As we wrestle with how God Himself came to indwell this world and what it tells us about us and the lives that we live. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 say this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, if an angel is going to appear to you, that's the message you want to hear. That's it. That's what you want to hear. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And so as we start to look at the birth of Jesus, right off the bat, what we see is his mother Mary, she was a virgin, so this is supernatural. This is supernatural. This is miraculous. And that she has God's favor. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever." And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin. Sometimes we can look back and because we know of of all the wonderful things that God did. Sometimes because we know the story of how Jesus lived his life and what he accomplished for us. And because we have all of the parts as they've now been complete, we look back and we have the perfect picture. But put yourself in the scenario without the benefit of hindsight. And here Mary is told from an angel that you are going to be the mother of the Messiah. And her first question is, how? This makes no sense. And this is one of the things that I love about Scripture, is it doesn't go back and it doesn't change history. 
And here we see that she, what does it tell us? What is her response? That she is greatly troubled by this message. And she's confused. That one who is favored by God, when she is given the message from God's angels about what God is going to do through her, has questions, concerns, and isn't sure how all of this is going to work out. Of course she does, because she's a person. She's real. And sometimes we feel like I'm going to disappoint God if I, if I show him the reality of who I am and the questions that I have and the doubts that I wrestle with and the concerns that are heavy on my mind. And sometimes we think that we've got to play a performance for our creator. And what we see here is just the opposite, that God can handle us in our rawest real form. That we don't have to try to impress him. That we can be who we are. And God is big enough to handle our questions, to handle our doubts, and to handle our uncertainties. And the angel answered Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And here she is in the midst of her uncertainties. Here she is in the midst of her questions. And the angel says, nothing is going to be impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. And what is Mary's response? Let it be. Let it be. There will be a season, there will be a time in your life where you come to a point and you do not understand what God is doing. You will not understand what God is up to. You will not understand the situations or the circumstances that you are facing. And this is where life gets difficult. And this is where life gets real. Because unfortunately, life doesn't always end like our favorite movie on the Hallmark Network at Christmas time, where the snow just happens to fall and you make out with the guy that you should have fallen in love with 25 years ago. Life's a lot more messy than that. And God can handle it. He can handle your mess. He can handle your uncertainty. He can handle the things that you wrestle with. Nothing is impossible with God. And you might look at the regrets that you carry. You might look at all the mistakes that you have. You might look at how your life has turned out and how you never in a million years thought you would be where you are right now. And you might think it's impossible. You might say there's no hope. But for God, nothing's impossible. We continue on into Luke chapter 2. 
In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That's to do a census. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. How does the creator of everything arrive? In a manger. How is he born? Not in the finest of hospitals. Not with the best midwives around. He's born in a manger. With no light. No water. No clean blankets. This is how our Savior arrives on the scene. And this is how Mary, who was told she was favored by God, has to bring a child into the world. It seems the equation's off. It seems that if someone is favored by God, then they should have the best of accommodations. They should have the most luxurious opportunities available to them. Certainly, a, a favored woman by God shouldn't be forced out because a, a hotel rejected her. Certainly, someone who's favored by God shouldn't be forced to go out with animals because no one was willing to give up their hotel room. Certainly, someone favored by God shouldn't have to travel such long distances and such uncomfortable accommodations right before they give birth. Where is God's favor? To his favored one. We now transition over to Matthew. In Matthew's gospel, in the second chapter of Matthew, starting in verse 13, we, we read these words. Now, when they had departed, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother to flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So let's make sure we all understand what's going on here. The favored mother of Jesus gave birth to Jesus in a manger... Some dignitaries from around the world came to honor and worship him because they understood prophecy. They had an audience with 
the king at the time, they told the king of the coming Messiah, who would be king of kings and lord of lords, and the king Herod at the time's response was, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And now an angel appears to Joseph and says, Mary and Jesus need to flee. And again I ask, if this is what it's like to be favored by God, do we really want to be? This is not the way you want to welcome a child into your world. You want to hold them. You want to play with them. You want to bond with them. You want to tell them of your love for them repeatedly. You want to sing softly to them. You want to make noises to them. The last thing you want to do is pick them up and have to run to flee for your life. Go on in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child with his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So the threat to Jesus' life is over. The people are no longer looking to kill you, but he, Joseph hears of this, and he hears that Herod's son is now on the throne, and he is frightened. He's frightened of where they can live. And I ask again, how is this favored? That God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and you're, you're confused. And you're full of questions. And you have God's favor on your life. And you don't have the basic luxuries of giving birth in a comfortable room. But you're forced out into a manger. And you're told there is no room for you. Rejected. Cast aside. How is this favor? That you have to take your child and flee to a foreign land. Just to stay alive. How is this favor? that you don't even know where you can go. And you're constantly frightened, looking over your shoulder, wondering where can we go and where can we find safety? Who wants to raise a child as though they're a fugitive? How is this favor?
how are we favored? Well, might I suggest the answer to that question lies in the very fact that our Savior was born in a place where animals assembled. Because his family was rejected and dismissed and told there was no room. And might I suggest the answer to how we're favored extends to a Savior whose family had to flee and had to live like a refugee because someone was trying to kill him. And might I extend that our favor is because we have a Savior who understands what it's like to deal with fear And uncertainty. I think it was summed up amazingly well by a songwriter and a poet, and John Mark McMillan, when he wrote these words I've got no answers for heartaches or cancers, but a Savior who suffers them with. And the reason that we're favored is because our Creator and our God met us when He took on our flesh and He came to this world. And it wasn't in the finest palace, it wasn't in the biggest house. No, the reason we're favored is because our Creator knows our pain and our suffering. He meets us in the midst of our struggles and our hurts and our rejections, in our fears and our anxieties. That's who our Savior is. And how is Mary favored? Because she had a front row seat. And a reminder that should serve for all of us when pain and heartache and hardship comes our way. And what is that reminder? That this world is not it. That we were created for something so much more than this. And every time we experience a hurt or a rejection or a doubt or an uncertainty, every time we get a diagnosis that just shatters us to our core, it is a reminder there's something within us that longs for something else to occur. And the reason that that happens is because whether we recognize it or not, what we know within our core is God did not design us to live in a broken place. God did not design us to be stuck in that story. But because of the rebellion of all of us, have chosen 
to reject the rules of our Creator. We've invited brokenness and heartache upon ourselves and upon this world. And how is Mary favored? Because every day, she had a front row seat and a reminder of the child that she got to give birth to. That he would usher in hope to a world that's otherwise void of it. That he would one day bring about the peace that we all desire and that is made possible because he came. His story started in a manger. And it would progress to fleeing with his family to Egypt, to coming back to Nazareth, to doing ministry all over the region, to being crucified, to raising from the dead. ascending to heaven. But that's not the end. Because we're told one day that Savior will wipe away every tear and will restore all things to those place their faith and trust and hope in a Savior who feels your pain, who understands your uncertainty, and who loves you in spite of the fact that you rebelled against him. And that is why we celebrate our Savior who could have come into the world any way he wanted, but came in such a way that you and me will always be understood. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for coming to set us free in a way God that if I were God I would not have chosen for myself but a way that is so much greater than anything I would have chosen to know that our creator can be a comforter who meets us in our pain who understands our uncertainty who knows rejection and is there and everyone else pushes us away. Who knows what it's like to not know where to go or what to do so that none of us, God, have to walk through this life feeling distant and unknown and unseen 
and uncared for so that our mistakes don't have to be the ultimate definition of who we are. Because of your love for us. I compelled you to go to a cross for me and to take upon yourself all of my shame all of my regrets, all of my sin, and offer me forgiveness and set me free because you paid the price once and for all and you rose again three days later offering me that hope, but not just that hope, God, but offering us all to be seen and understood have a Savior who knows and has experienced what we feel. Thank you, God, for loving us and coming to save us and set us free. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.